It is your money. Hello and welcome to the big show. If you have a financial question anytime, day or night, one eight 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 six advice You can also email questions to yourmoneyatwealthenhancement.com. But for the next hour, you can call us or text us on our studio line at 651-461-9226. Now here is the founder of Wealth Enhancement Group and financial advisor, Bruce Helmer. Hello, Bruce. Nice to talk to you again. Hello, Susie Jones. Yeah, we've missed you. It's good to be with you again, as always. Thank you. I understand you're flying solo today. Yeah, Peg is taking some well-deserved time off, and uh, as everyone that listens knows, the show is always better when Peg is here, but I'll I'll do my best to limp through it. You, you'll help me, I hope. Absolutely. But, um, Susie, t- today we thought we'd, we'd have the lines open for most of the show, so if people have a, any, any financial question on any topic, uh, go ahead, try to stump me. If I don't know the answer, we'll research it and come back in future weeks with the answer. But any financial question, text or call, I'll do my best. But there's also several uh, questions that, that we've been getting at, at our website or that I've been getting in person. And when I start to get the same question frequently, I'll make a note of it in my file and, and know that that's one I'm going to at some point address on the radio show. So I'll have some of those today uh, as well. But I also, before we kick into it, uh, every once in a while we do this. If, if it, the, Those people that are listening right now, if you're a regular listener, you know we do this a couple of times a year. Um, we have various tools at Wealth Enhancement that help us as advisors make sure that we're giving the best possible advice that we can to clients to help our clients sort through all the difficult decisions so they meet their goals and objectives, retire when they want, with the lifestyle that they want without having to worry about running out of money. And one of these tools, uh, we call it our reality check report. The reality check isn't just a generic, you know, financial robot thing. It's very specific based on the actual lived experience of the person that we're doing this reality check on. It gives you a real realistic glimpse of your financial picture, both as it sits right now and then we project what it's going to look like in the future. So I'm inviting listeners, if they, if they want to do this, uh, this is the part that's unusual. The reality check is always available, but usually we don't have people sitting uh, by a phone live while we're, while we're doing this show. Today we do. And so, again, I know that sometimes listeners can get frustrated because there's too many different phone numbers to try to call. But if they want to call today, uh, and get a live voice to set up a, a no-cost, no-obligation introductory meeting to get one of these reality checks. The number that they can call is 1-888-207-1352. 1-888-207-1352. And again, Susie and listeners, this reality check is, is very specific and personalized to your situation and your financial goals. Anyone can get a reality check done. I will tell you that it's designed that it probably adds more benefit or is more helpful if you've accumulated assets probably of, I don't know, $250,000 or or more. But what you get when when, when you get this reality check is an analysis of your current investments, a portfolio review, if you will, and also the tax efficiency of that portfolio. Secondly, then we give you a forecast of what we think the growth will look like on your portfolio, the way you're invested right now as it stands. 
We also give you an estimate of what your Social Security benefits are going to be. And then finally, we give a projection of retire the taxes you're going to pay on your retirement income and also your cost of Medicare and any other Medi- Medicare supplement or Medigap insurance that you might want to supplement Medicare. So we try to give you a realistic view of what your income will be when you retire and what a lot of your fixed expenses will be. Obviously, other expenses like travel and how much you spend on groceries and entertainment, all those things are going to, again, be very specific. And if you want to share those with us as well, then we can dig a little bit deeper. But this reality check, people tell us it's it's very helpful. It's very valuable because until you think about retirement, most people don't have any idea what their retirement income, how much it's going to be, what it's going to look like, how much they're going to pay in taxes, how long their money's going to last. This I don't know how someone could, uh, I know people do it, but I don't know how someone could retire without going through an exercise like this so they have some idea of what their retirement's going to look like. So again, if you want to come in, there's no cost, there's no obligation, you'll get a reality check. If you, you know, obviously our hope, let's, let's take the elephant in the room and put it right on, on the table in front of everybody. Our hope is that we make a favorable impression and you perhaps will engage our services, but you're not obligated to do that. If you want to take your reality check and leave, we're not going to, we're not going to lock the door, and not let you out. You can get the reality check and leave. But uh, it's our feeling that once people have that no cost, no obligation meeting, and they see what we can actually do for them, they're going to want to engage our services. So it's a win-win. It's a win for you if you come in. It's a win for us if you become a new client. You've got nothing to lose but a little bit of your time, so we hope people will do it. one 207 1352 Once you're done with your tax season, maybe the reality check report might be just the nudge that you need to get going on your retirement planning to retire when you want with the lifestyle you want and the income you want and know that you're not going to run out of money before you run out of breath. Again, one 207 1352 Susie, the other thing I wanted to talk about, um, the we talked about this last week, actually the last two weeks, and the, you know I'm still getting questions about you know the, the, the danger of the banking industry. Uh, a couple weeks ago, Silicon Valley Bank um, failed in a very, very fast period of time from the from the moment people first knew there was trouble until the bank actually failed was like 48 hours. And it freaked people out because A, it's a big bank and a relatively big bank and B, it happened so quickly. And and, uh, we've been on the air the last couple of weeks saying, we don't think you have really anything to worry about at your particular bank. Obviously we don't know where all of our listeners are banking but the banking industry in general is not in trouble. Silicon Valley and some of these other banks that have had issues are kind of outliers and we're doing some things or their business model was a little bit different than the, probably the traditional bank where where you're banking at right now. Your bank probably is not in danger. We've said that this is the third week in a row. Now I've said that. And even if it was remember you have federal insurance up to $250,000 per person, per depository account. Most people listening to me probably don't have deposits in excess of that anyway to worry about. So you're you're fully insured even if your bank was in trouble. I know that caused a ripple in the economy. It, it affected the stock market. It affected consumer confidence. It affected a lot, you know, a lot of things. But 
Uh, I am not worried about the banking industry. And again, the reason that became such a big story is, I think, because it happened so fast and it was such a big bank. Banks fail all the time. You can Google this. There's been years where hundreds of small banks in the country fail. Banks failing are not, it's not rare. It, it happens a lot. But this one was a, you know, was a big deal because of the size and scope and how fast it happened. Um, so I understand why it was a news story, and I understand why it made people nervous. And it was funny, Susie. We did our show on Sunday, and we tried to be reassuring and tell people we really don't think you have anything to worry about. And then after the show, I watched the uh, the network TV news shows, and oh my gosh, they were just they still thought the sky was falling, and they had experts on and tell us why we don't need to worry. The government's saying nothing to see here, but. What about this and what about that? And I thought, boy, they're trying to cause a panic. And all the things that the, they were talking about last Sunday, none of those bad things, scary things happened this last week. And I think hopefully that's in our rearview mirror and we won't have to keep uh, talking about this. And then the question arises about protection in my industry, the financial services industry. And, and again, there's insurance there. It's not FDIC. It's something called Securities Investor Protection Corporation, CIPIC, we, we like acronyms, Federal Deposit Insurance Corporation, FDIC is uh, banking insurance. CIPIC is insurance for the brokerage industry. And again, it protects you from, if your financial services uh, company has financial problems or fails or is struggling or you're worried about that company, it protects you up to $500,000 actually double what, what CIPIC does, uh, or excuse me, double what FDIC insurance protects you in the banking industry. It's actually twice as much protection. But again, I have to remind people that protection is not for loss on an investment. When you invest in securities, when you buy funds or stocks or bonds or securities with a risk of principle, you're taking that risk and you're understanding that risk. If, if you have a bad year in the market like 2022, you don't get to file a claim on your CIPIC insurance and say, I lost my money. I want it back. doesn't work that way. So the way I think I said it last week is if you're investing with ABC company and they've got you in XYZ investments, if XYZ investments go down, you're not protected from that. But if ABC company goes down, you're protected from that, from the, from the company or the, uh, the, the professional relationship you have. So, uh, there's a lot of safeguards in our system. There's a lot of regulation in the banking industry. Uh, I think regulations probably got softened a little too much. We, we go through these cycles. We had a, we had a period, everyone, everyone remembers 2008. Nobody has forgotten uh, the big crash we had then. And some of what led to 2008 were probably too soft regulations or regulations that weren't being enforced. Then the cycle swings maybe too far the other way, and maybe regulations became too tight. It became too hard for small businesses to get loans, to get money. Then they loosened it up again maybe too much. This thing tends to swing back and forth. It's hard to find the happy medium. We need regulation, but how much is enough? How much is too much? That's always going to be an ongoing you know, struggle to find the right amount. But the banking industry is safe, and uh, hopefully we don't need to keep talking about this every week. And I, I don't think anything will happen this week that will make us want to keep talking about it. And if something does, it surprises me, of course, 
you'll listen uh, to your money, and we will talk about it. And Susie, the other thing I, I wanted to jump into, we just got done talking about the reality check. People can come in for a no-cost, no-obligation meeting and get one of these reality checks. Again, that number, I'll give it one more time quick, one 207 1352 one of the questions I've been getting from a lot of people lately, um, and I thought it, it was worth spending some time talking about in a larger forum other than just one-on-one -on -one meetings, is how does a financial advisor actually add value? I talk, Peg and I talk a lot on the show about financial advisors and people that use advisors do better than those that don't and so forth and so on. And I know that people listening and are going to say, well, yeah, but they're financial advisors. Of course, they're going to say that. But there's a, a mountain. Don't, don't take my word for it. There's a mountain of evidence on the Internet of research that's been done of how much value advisors can add, how much they do add, statistically speaking. And, and the information that's out there is not all by financial services companies, again, with a, with a self-interest. A lot of it is by independent research firms, universities, magazines. Barron's Magazine has written about this a lot. So there's a lot of information out there. But I think there's a lot of people listening right now, and there's a school of thought that says, okay, I know that my retirement plan, my 401K, whatever my investment portfolio is, I know there's a cost to have that plan. Nobody's working for free. But now if I go get a financial advisor, they're also going to charge me something. And different advisors get paid differently, and I don't want to go down that road about how, how we all get paid or how we should get paid. But, but obviously, yes, we're going to get paid. So the, I understand the thought process that says, if I add that extra overhead of the cost of an advisor, how in the heck do I come out ahead? I increased my, my cost. How, how am I going to be better off? And so most of what I'm about to share is, is something that you know I kind of intrinsically knew in my head but I've never actually sat and written them all down. And Brian Vanak of our roundtable at Wealth Enhancement uh, shared this during the week. And I think it's pretty good. I think it's worth sharing with listeners. Oftentimes the value add that an advisor can bring to the table is quantifiable. You can measure it. It's, it's, it's verifiable. For example, income tax benefits. I've lost count how many times over the years that because of the financial planning we do, the strategies that we use, we can demonstrate to our clients that they're saving thousands or even tens of thousands of dollars in income taxes and other, other taxes, maybe estate taxes. That's very quantifiable. Look, Mr. and Mrs. Client, because we did this, you can see you're going to pay $10,000 less in taxes. That's really dramatic, and that's really uh, uh Clients really, really appreciate that type of quantifiable value added. But oftentimes the things we do, it's hard to measure the value. Um, so if, if, if we change your behavior so you don't sell out of the market during a down market and we encourage you to hold and you do like in 2008 and the market comes back and you didn't sell at the bottom, how, if you change your behavior, how do you quantify that value? I mean, it's hard to know what you – would have done if you sold and when you would have bought back in or the peace of mind of knowing that your estate plan that when you leave this world whatever you have left is going to go where you want it to go efficiently effectively with minimal tax impact i can't quantify that value it's priceless but i know it gives clients peace of mind and i know they appreciate it 
or that they have the right insurance and that, 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 that something's not going to happen in their life. Somebody's going to get sick, somebody's going to die, whatever, and that's going to be financially devastating. Again, I can't quantify the value, but it's there. It's priceless. Uh, retirement income planning, to, to know that you're going to have an income at retirement, that your money's not going to run out. Sometimes we can quantify that. It might be, again, thousands or tens of thousands of dollars, but sometimes it's just not quantifiable, but, it, but people know that it's true and they know that they're doing the best that they can and it gives them comfort and peace of mind and, and it's priceless. So the key areas where I think we add value are income tax benefits, investment return, investment planning, estate tax benefits, retirement income benefits, uh, insurance, delegation uh, of what happens after I leave this world, legacy planning, if you will, and, and behavior of the client. That's, that's a huge one because Sometimes, Susie, our job is to just save clients from themselves and protect them from doing the wrong thing at the wrong time. And that's, that's, that one is, again, oftentimes going to be hard to quantify. But, um, Susie, I apologize. I rambled on longer than I intended to. I know we've still got a couple minutes left in the first half. Uh, any texts, any calls, anybody want to jump into the show yet? Yes, actually, there are a number of them. Uh, this person writes... If I leave my children some cash versus IRA funds, do they need to pay tax on it? Great question, and I'm going to expand on that just a little bit between cash and uh, and securities. So if I leave somebody a retirement plan, an IRA or a 401k or some, or some type of, a, uh, you know, what we commonly would call a retirement plan, that plan is going to uh, be fully taxable. Um, the, the, the investments that went in there went in typically on what we call a pre-tax basis and have been growing tax deferred. Now when I take withdrawals and spend the money, I pay the tax. But if I never took a withdrawal and that money goes to someone else, they are going to pay the tax. But if I have an asset that's not in a retirement plan, in this case uh, cash, and I leave cash to the next generation, there's no tax on that cash. Or I said I wanted to expand the question, what if I bought a stock and I bought it for a dollar a share 30 years ago and now it's selling at $100 a share? If I, if I wanted to sell that stock and use that money for my own lifestyle, I've got to pay capital gains tax on that $99 a share increase. But if I pass away and I leave that stock to my kids, they get what's called a step up in basis. So their basis is not the dollar that I paid. Their basis is the $100 that it was worth at the time that I died. So if, if they inherit that stock and they sell it at $100, there's no tax consequence. If they inherit that stock at 100 and they don't sell it right away and it goes up to 102, they pay taxes on that $2 a share gain, not $101. So non-retirement accounts, generally are not going to have any tax or very uh, probably a limited amount of tax, if any, but tax deferred plans, IR, retirement, retirement plans, IRAs, 401ks, those types of plans have a big tax lien hanging on them. Um, again, doesn't make them a bad plan, just something to be aware of in the planning process. And the other thing, Susie, that we've talked about, the laws on these when you inherit these plans have changed a lot over the years. We used to talk about what's called a stretch IRA where somebody 
could inherit mom and dad's IRA and they had to take withdrawals, but they could stretch out those payments over their statistical life expectancy to minimize the taxes, only take out a little bit per year for a lot of years. The law now is such that you have to totally liquidate that account within a 10-year period of time at the, at the most. So again, how they should take those withdrawals, how fast, how slow, again, we will help the next generation. If our client is the one that died with an IRA and they leave that money to kids that aren't clients, we will help those kids determine how to take those withdrawals if they want our help. Not everybody wants our help, but if they want it, we're there and we'll provide it. So um, I'm looking at my watch. I think we're close to running out of time, but uh, we got a whole second half to go, and hopefully listeners will, will lead the whole thing. That's right, and they are ready with their questions. That number, if you are listening and you have a question for Bruce Elmer in the next half hour, is 651 Four six one nine two two six. I'll say it one more time. Six five one four six one nine two two six. We have a number of questions at the ready after this quick break. And welcome back. We are talking with Bruce Helmer of Wealth Enhancement, reminding you you can jump in right now and call us at six five one four six one nine two two six. But if you want to write this number down, you can also call 188-207-1352. And that will get you to a person and you can schedule, Bruce, maybe you want to talk a little bit more about this before we get into the, some of the texts and questions there about this reality check, the service that you're offering. Can you tell folks about it if they're just tuning in? Yeah, I can do that again really quick. So, um, this reality check report is something that we that we always have available, but we're we're kind of have a, a special number or a special opportunity right now that if somebody you know hears the show and they want to actually come in and, and get one of these, they can actually call immediately, and that number is one eight 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 two zero seven one three five two one eight 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 two zero seven one three five two and again, I apologize for giving you a multitude of different numbers, but Susie and, and listeners, if you join us late, what we do at this reality check, and again, there's no cost, no obligation to this meeting, but we're going to provide for you an analysis of your current investments and the tax efficiency. So sort of a, a, a I guess, a second opinion on your investments, a portfolio analysis, if you will, then we'll for, forecast how we think that what the aggregate return on your money is going to be. So we can say you have X amount of dollars now. We think in five years, 10 years, 20 years, this is how it will grow. We, we can estimate what your Social Security benefits will be. And then we could also project cost, uh, tax, overall taxes, your Medicare uh, Part B premiums, and your Medigap or Medicare supplement costs if you're going to get a supplement. And then we give you, a, you know, a pretty good overview of here's what your income is, here's what your expenses are, Based on that, here's how long your money will last. And then after the reality check report, if it doesn't look as good as you want it to look, there might be strategies or ideas or things that we can incorporate that will make it look better. And that's where we get to the part I said in the first half of the show, I'm nothing but straightforward. I I have no hidden agendas. Part of the reason we do this is because it might be good for wealth enhancement. I don't want to pain ourselves. We, We do this to help people first and foremost. But yes, we hope we make a favorable impression and you engage our services. And if that happens, it's good for us. And I'm all about mutually beneficial business relationships, win-win 
is the name of the game for me. So this can be a win-win. You've got no downside. I don't know why you would not take advantage of this. This reality check, it's easy to understand. Uh, it's helpful. It's not, you know, the, it's not the end of your planning before you retire, but it may be the beginning if you haven't done it yet. So give us a, give us a call, 1-888-207-1352 if you want to come in for no cost, no obligation, introductory meeting. And it doesn't hurt. It's not anything to be afraid of. It's not anything to be intimidated about. Uh, you'll learn something, whether you engage our services or not. I think it will be a good use of your time. Thank you, Susie, for re-reminding me of that. I probably would have forgot to do that. No, that's okay. And I think as well, you might think that it would offer maybe someone some solace, some sense of relief maybe that at least, even if it's not great, at least you have time to fix it. You know, that's a great point. Thank you for that. I, I Many times in my career, I have had to tell someone, no, you can't retire when you want to. Um, or they've already retired. I've had to tell them, you have to spend less or you're going to run out of money. And, and people say to me all the time, boy, that's got to be hard. And it actually isn't because somebody would rather know now then X number of years down the road when they're going over the cliff and it's too late, they'd rather know now so they can stop or turn the car around. Um, so I'm not, I don't mind telling people you may have to work longer than you thought. Or if you're committed to retiring when you said, then we got to make some changes. You're going to have to maybe invest differently or you're going to have to spend less after you retire. Or maybe you get some sort of a part-time job after you retire to supplement your uh, income from your investments in Social Security or whatever. But, yes, you're right. It's better to know that now than before you get there. So uh, that's a great point. Thanks for bringing that up. 651-461-9226 is our talk and text line. So if you have a question for Bruce, you can call that line. You can also just go ahead and text us a question. And there are a couple Uh if I inherit a stock portfolio, is it a good idea to cash it out at the stepped-up basis and then find new investments for that money? Also a really good question, and it kind of piggybacks on the one we took in the first half of the show. Um, so in the first half, again, if you join us late, listeners, we talked about uh, inheriting a retirement plan like an IRA or a 401k uh, as opposed to inheriting a non-retirement plan and getting a so-called step-up in basis. And, and whether or not you liquidate the investment is really going to be driven by what kind of an investor are you and what are your goals and objectives and your desired rate of return, what's your time horizon before you might want to use the money for lifestyle, um, all those sorts of questions. So sometimes if you inherit a stock portfolio, your basis steps up no matter what. The example I gave in the first half of the show is I buy a stock for a dollar. It's now trading at $100. I pass away and I leave that stock to my kids. So now the question is, you know, what should my kids do? Should they sell the stock at $100 and reinvest it somewhere else? Should they hold on to the stock? Or should they sell some and hold some, do some sort of combination? And the answer is, an investment that was appropriate for me might not be appropriate for them for any number of different reasons. Again, risk tolerance, time horizon, uh, desired return, and so forth. But it may be appropriate. It may be a really good stock, and they may say, 
if I sold that stock and reinvested, I don't know where I would invest and get a better return than, than on that stock. I'm just going to keep that stock. And you know what? If it doubles again uh, from 100 to 200 and then I sell it, I have to pay taxes on a $100 gain. I'm okay with that because I doubled my money. So what, what they should actually do with the investments is going to depend upon what is the investment, what are your particular situations, what other investments do you have. And again, I mentioned in the first half of the show, and I'm not just, not just trying to be self-promotional, if you're someone that has inherited like that and you don't know what to do and you want some help, we will help you. Or I said, if it's our client that passes away, and leaves money to kids who are not clients of ours, but those kids want to come in and get some help from mom and dad's advisor, we will always help that next generation. We're glad to do it. And it's not you know, a decision that should probably be made totally independently by them alone. They probably want and need some professional guidance on that. All right, 651-461-9226. Lois from Moundsview's listening today. Please explain gifting to a granddaughter. How much and does it affect either tax filings? Thank you. Hi, Lois. Thank you for uh, your question. So gifting, um, I, I, the number always changes, but I, I think the amount that you can gift right now is gone up to, I think it's $16,000 per year that you can gift to somebody um, and it doesn't impact their income and their income taxes, and it doesn't impact you. It's uh, $16,000 per year per person. Um, and, again, if that number is off because it changes all the time. Actually, in 2023, I stand corrected. I just realized it's gone this year. It went to 17000 Forget what I just said. <laughs> so I can, if I want to, I can gift. If, if, I, if I have children, or it doesn't even have to be children, it can be anybody, but I can gift up to $17,000 per year per person. It doesn't impact me. It doesn't impact them from a tax standpoint. There is a form that you have to file with your 1040, and I don't remember the number, but it's a you know, gift tax form, but it has no tax impact. If you gift more than that, which you can, it's your money, you can do what you want with it, then there might be some tax consequence to the receiver of the gift. But 17000 per year per person, think about that. So if, if, if I have adult children and I'm married and I want to make a gift to my adult child, that's 17000 but I can also make a gift to their spouse, that's 34000 and my spouse can make a gift to my child and their spouse, so now all of a sudden, one family, we're up to 68000 without any tax consequence. I'm pretty confident that the vast majority of our listeners um, are not going to get that much money per year, but that's the maximum that you're allowed to without any kind of tax consequence or anything to really worry about other than filing a form. And gifting, you know, this is something, Susie, and listeners, that comes up a lot in my practice. Because when we talk about legacy planning, we talk about when you leave this world, you're not going to spend your last dollar the day you take your last breath. And where do you want what's left to go? Um, and how do you get it there efficiently and effectively? And I have clients on both ends of the spectrum and everywhere in between. I have clients, and by the way, I, this does not make them greedy or selfish or a bad person. But I have clients that say, look, 
the perfect financial plan for me. If you can get me to spend my last dollar the day I take my last breath, perfect. That's the plan I want. And my response always is, well, that's easy. Well, I can do that. Just tell me when you're going to die, and we'll, we'll absolutely do that for you. Now, the reason that's not necessarily guilty or selfish, maybe they're estranged from their kids. Maybe they didn't have kids. Maybe their kids are doing so well financially, they don't even need the money, don't want the money. They have way more money than mom and dad do. So I see that, and I also see people that say, look, I want to help my kids as much as I can, whether they need help or not. I love my children. I want to provide more for them than my parents provided for me. That's not an uncommon way to look at things. But then when you talk about legacy planning and kids are going to receive this assets after you leave this world, it takes the joy out of it for them. I have people tell me all the time, I don't care about leaving a bunch of money to them when I die. Number one, now they're a lot older and maybe they don't need the help as much because they've had more years to achieve their own financial success. Number two, it doesn't give me the intrinsic feel good of seeing them enjoy that money. So what's the solution? You start gifting when they're young and when they need more help, if you can afford to do it. And that's the, that's the key part of all this. If you can afford to do it. I tell clients all the time, look, I know you want to help your kids. You're a loving parent. Your kids are always your kids, no matter how old they are. And the fact that you want to help them is, is awesome. Your generosity is, is inspiring. It's wonderful. It's sweet. It's kind. But you're my client. Your kid is not. And I want to make sure that you have enough money for you and you don't give away too much too fast so that you're struggling and living on ramen noodles when you're, when you're 82 years old because you can't afford to buy you know, any meat. So gifting is a great feel-good thing. It's a great way of uh, estate or legacy planning, shrinking the, the size of the estate maybe shrinking uh, taxes. It could be an effective tax planning strategy, but mostly it's a feel-good strategy to be able to help loved ones when they need the help most and when you can enjoy the benefit of giving them that help. Imagine a young couple in their you know, mid-20s or late-20s or even 30, what a difference in their lives that $17,000 all at once might make in their lives with student loans or credit card bills and so forth. So it's 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 a it's a it's absolutely uh, a smart, oftentimes smart financial planning strategy, as well as a you know feel good financial planning strategy. That's a great question. Thanks, Susie. All right, very good. Let's take this one. Uh, if trust money is being used to pay for my parents' memory care costs, can some of the trust funds that aren't immediately needed be put into a CD? or earn some interest before it's needed to pay for the memory care? Um, great question. And, and again, I know I thank you. I thank you for reading it so well. I know Lois sent it into us. Thanks, Lois. I hope that helped. Um, so when, when someone writes in or asks a question about a trust, uh, one of our attorneys at Wealth Enhancement told me years ago, Bruce, the word trust tells me nothing. The word that precedes trust tells me everything, what kind of trust it is. But when people say trust, the vast majority of the time, what they're probably referring to, and we've talked about this in recent weeks on the show, they're probably referring to a revocable trust or a living trust. And yes, you want your assets in the trust 
to be invested appropriately for your situation. And if they're going to provide income or they're going to provide uh, withdrawals to pay for, in this case, memory care, we want them invested such that we can apply earnings to the, to the investments in the trust. But you also probably don't want to take a lot of uh, risk of principal, and so you don't want it to be invested really aggressively. But in terms of can you buy a CD, absolutely, you can have a CD and a trust. Now, that leads to a different question. Let's dismiss the, the idea of it being in a trust or not or you know, paying for memory care, but just the idea of CDs. Um, and my friends in the banking industry aren't going to like my answer here. I've never been personally a fan of CDs, and I have to admit I, I have a bias. I don't know why. What I don't like is the time commitment. Um, and if you look at out there today, um, I think an interest rate that you can get on a completely liquid account without any time requirements is probably close to 4%. I'm thinking of the accounts I have. Between three, between 3.75 and 4 right now, I think you can get pretty easily. On a 12-month CD, I think I've seen like five and a quarter. So for that extra 1.5% to tie my money up for 12 months personally doesn't excite me. And usually when you see these higher rates by, by committing your money for a longer period of time, what usually happens is, and, and at least in my estimation, is that happens at a time of rising rates. So you go get your 12-month or 18-month CD at five and a quarter and five and a half, but short-term rates keep going up, and three to six months down the road, now your short-term money is earning almost as much as the CD, but you're still st stuck in that CD for six or eight or 12 more months. So I've never been a fan, but that said, if it's something that you want and the rate in there is attractive to you and the time commitment that you have to hold it, because again, the texture was talking about taking withdrawals to pay for memory care. If there's other assets besides the CD, so you can leave that CD alone for the period of the, of the commitment, six, 12, 18 months, whatever it is, I, I wouldn't try to talk you out of that, but I've just never been a huge fan of CDs, but I, I, a lot of our advisors at Wealth Enhancement Group probably wouldn't agree with what I just said, but that's just my own personal bias. So if, if it's something that you want to do in your trust, absolutely go for it. All right. Another question. Let's see. Would it be smarter to gift? This is going back to that 17000 to kids and grandkids. Would it be better to do it in a Roth IRA instead of a Roth instead of cash? Um, again, another really intriguing question, smart question, but um, to be, so I, I understand why the person wants to do that. Uh, and for listeners that don't know, what makes the Roth IRA so attractive, and particularly for younger people, is that unlike a traditional IRA, which really ties your hands until you're 59 and a half years old, now you can get your money earlier but you're probably looking at not only taxes, but uh, a 10% federal penalty. There's some exceptions that you can get it out earlier, but generally speaking, your money on a traditional IRA is tied up until 59 and a half. On a Roth IRA, your earnings or your gains are tied up until 59 and a half, but your contributions are actually available if you really want or need the money. 
Now, I would discourage people from going to cannibalize their Roth IRAs for short-term financial needs because that really still is designed as a retirement plan. But if your back is against the wall and you really need money to keep the wolf away from the door, you can go get the contributions back out because those are after-tax contributions. You've already paid the tax on that money. Uncle Sam isn't going to make you pay twice. On a traditional IRA, you get a deduction for the contribution, so you've never paid tax on any of it. So any withdrawal is going to be taxable, and before 59 and a half, probably have a 10% penalty. But on a Roth, if young people put money in a Roth in their 20s and 30s, and they want to take some out in their 40s, they can take out their basis or their contributions. And as long as they're not taking earnings or gains, it's, it's, there's not a taxable event and there's not a penalty. So Roths are arguably the single most efficient, effective investment strategy that young people can use. So yeah, I'm going to give to my kid, can I put the money into a Roth? The answer is yes, if they have earned income. Or if it's a married couple and you're giving it to both, one of the partners, one of the uh, partners has earned income. So if, if, they do, if they're not working or they're retired and there's no earned income, you can't make a Roth contribution. But if you have earned income, then you can, but you also can't contribute more into the Roth than what they've earned. So in 2023, if they're under 50 years old, the amount that you can actually uh, put into a Roth is $6,500. But if your income, if you're a student or something working part-time and you only made five grand, you can't put in 6,500 if you made five grand. You can't put in more than what you made. So it's a great idea. You can't put in the whole 17, obviously, but if you wanted to take 65 of that 17, put that into a Roth and give them the rest in cash, that might be a great compromise. That's, again, good for you and good for them. Really smart question. And Susie, I know we're up against the <laughs> clock. We probably don't have time for any more. We do not. We do not. But we should mention we have less than a minute left. Let's talk real quick about that free a reality check and what people need to do to sign up for that. Yep. If they want to, again, no cost, no obligation, come in for an introductory meeting, one 207 1352 and we'll do a, give you a free reality check. And it's it's really, really useful tool. Thank you. And it's free, that number, 888-207-1352. Make it a great week.